Cool. We're going to dive in. So tonight, you guys, is um, week two of this new series we started last week called Don't Waste Your Life. And uh, let, me, let me pray again. I feel like, so with all these announcements again, it's like, let's start well. So let's pray real quick. Father, would you, um, would you sort of draw us in tonight? God, I, my whole, um, every week this year, God, I'm praying that you would unite us as a group. God, we come from all over this city on Wednesday nights, and outside of the city, from other cities, from Council Bluffs and Trainer, and um, these, these towns in Iowa and way out west, and um, God, would you unite us as a group? A lot of us don't know each other. A lot of us come here on a night like this, and we know one other person, the friend that brought us. Um, but Lord, um, I, I thank you for this, this, that we can gather in this place, um, in this church, and God, together as high school students, say, God, we want, we want more um, from life. We want to connect with you, God. We want to hear from you. We want to know you more. And God, we believe that, that you satisfy more than other things on this earth. And so, God, we seek you tonight, and we ask that you would speak. And uh, so I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, week two, we have two weeks left. Um, here's, here's where we're coming from with this series. And Ben said this last week, um, sort of in different words. Than this, but we wanted to start out the year with this series, um, sort of tackling some foundational things about Christianity. Right off the bat, um, Ben, I think, used the phrase "kick you in the face" last week, but we sort of wanted this to be like a wake-up call. Um, a lot of us are sort of inundated with all kinds of stuff from our culture, and we go to school. Um, not all of you go to public school. Some of you Christian school. Some of you are homeschooled. But for a lot of you, you are inundated with um, just all kinds of stuff from friends and teachers all day long at school. And so we wanted to talk about some foundational things and for this to be a wake-up call. We wanted this series to sort of go, is your behavior matching what you say you believe? Do you just say you believe certain things or do you actually live it out too? So here's where we get this in the Bible. James, um, James 1.22 says this. This is a great verse, simple verse. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Don't just listen to it and sort of deceive yourself. So here's my little paraphrase of that. Um, Don't simply come and listen each week and then go on living your life as if you've always lived it. And you maybe hear good stuff and you go, oh, I agree with that. Oh, that sounds good. I like that they taught that at Oasis. Um, Don't waste your life away thinking that you, uh, just by going to church and being a good person or whatever, you can believe rightly and then go on living your life Nothing ever matters. We want you guys, and again, a lot of you are doing great at this, but to be Christians in the world and to be serious Christians in the world and for people to look at you and go, She's just, she just looks different like, and she acts different and nobody else does that. And why does she do that? Nobody else treats me that way, but she treats me that way. Um, so we want your actions to prove um, what you say. If you remember two weeks ago, the very first night, I said, man, um, be grounded in the truth. And I said, the Bible is truth, and what are you basing your life on? And how do you know that that's true? And if you have an atheist friend, you go, why do you believe that? They should have an answer for that. I have an atheist friend who, um, who actually grew up a Christian, and uh, one time I heard this from some friends. My friends found him in a coffee shop, and um, they go, hey, what happened five years ago with you? And he was like, well, I like read these articles online, and um, I just, I don't know, I started to buy into him, and I think he had a friend but my friend goes, whoa, 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 you read articles online and that stole your Christianity away from you. Um, and he was just like, 
wow. And he wasn't trying, he didn't say that in front of the guy. Um, he wasn't disrespectful to the guy. But he was like, that, that was what did it. Just some article that he read online. Um, check this out. Here's the difference. I've referenced this for years. Um, and so a lot of you have heard this before if you were with me in Tribal Oasis. Here's the difference between Christianity and religion. I've used this for you. This is still like, this is such a simple, clear way to put it. And uh, again, this is not yet what we're talking about tonight. This is all like introduction. But religion operates on this principle. If you've never heard this before, this is awesome. Religion operates, all religions, besides Christianity. I'll give that principle in a second. But virtually all major world religions, even to some extent, I'll explain how maybe atheism fits into this. But religion basically operates on this principle. I obey. I must obey first. I have to obey and if I obey, then if I'm good enough, I'm accepted by God. I obey, therefore, I'm accepted by God. A lot of you go, isn't that how Christianity works? Like, that's how I thought it worked. Because we just lump it into the religion category. And in fact, this is the default mode of all of us. Um, again, just so I mentioned like the atheists. They don't believe in God, but even the atheist would go, I have standards for my life. Like, I, I need to live up to my own standards. And we don't even do that, right? But so, even the atheist might say, I have to obey my own standards, and if I do that, life is good. But if I can't live up to my own standards about how I should be living my life, um, I'm not accepted by myself, or they sulk into a depression or something. Christianity is, is a complete 180, so put that out there. Christianity operates on this principle. I'm accepted by God first. How is that even possible? Through what Christ has done for me. So Christ, like, paid your penalty. I mean, took it all on himself. It is no longer, it, it has nothing to do, it never was, I guess, by, by works, by obedience. But I'm accepted by God first because of what Christ has done. Therefore, like, why would you not obey a God that loves you that much? That would take the death penalty, that would take your punishment for you. And so it's a complete 180. Obedience is a part of both of them. Do you see that? And in this series, I want you to know we're primarily talking to Christians. So if you're here tonight, and I'm so glad you are, but if you're here tonight and you don't say you're a Christian, that's fine. But really, don't, don't hear this maybe as necessarily going straight to you because obedience and Ben saying last week, man, you've got to get your act together and stop saying that stuff on Twitter or following whatever, retweeting, like, watch your language, watch what you're doing, watch your partying, watch, watch your behavior. It's really geared to Christians. Um, if you're a non-Christian, I'm glad you're here. Like I said, I hope you enjoy listening in and you sort of get a sneak peek. But, um, but those are utterly different. I have cards like this. If this hel- is helpful for you, I used to always pass these out. I have a stack of these in the back. They're on the corner of the tech booth. And if this would be a good bookmark for you, take one of those on your way out. Um, our question tonight is this. Why do I need to read the Bible? That's sort of our topic tonight. Why? Why do I need to read the Bible? Why should I read the Bible? You all go, I know I'm supposed to. Like, what else would they say at church? It's good to read the Bible, but why do I need to read it? Um, here's a scenario. I got this out of a book. I changed the word slightly. I used it for something else. But imagine your mom sees you one day. Listen to this. Imagine your mom sees you one day, like, gaunt and weak looking. Your eyes are sunken into your face, into gray sockets. Your body is frail. Your skeleton is starting to be exposed. Your abdomen is distended from starvation. Now, I don't know, your mom would see the progression here. So somehow in this scenario, imagine that your mom hasn't seen you for a year, and suddenly she's like, Ugh. and again, no disrespect to like 
little children in Africa, I should weep when I, but that's what you picture, picture yourself looking like, just starving, sunken eyes, skeleton, but you're, yeah, the extended stomach. You've obviously not been eating, and when she sees you in this condition, she exclaims, what in the world has happened to you? And you say, I'm not getting fed around here. And then you continue your lament by saying, nobody's feeding me. I'm starving and nobody is feeding me. What would your mom say to you? She would, yes, she would go, are you kidding me? You're in high school, feed yourself for crying out loud. That's really hard if you're an Africa kid and and that's horrible, but we live in Omaha, Nebraska. She goes, there's food in the pantry. What are you doing? Feed yourself. Listen to this quote. This is sort of from the same book by this author, Wayne Cordero, about getting into the Bible, reading the Bible. He said, for the, for the Christian, and this will be on the screens, I think, for the Christian, the practice of daily time spent with Christ in his word, call this whatever you want. A lot of people call it a lot of different things. Daily devotions, a quiet time, a prayer life, personal Bible study, time with God, whatever you want to call it. It's how we feed ourselves. Nothing is more important or essential than this. Without it, we grow weaker and weaker and will eventually die of starvation. He's talking spiritually. Hope you gather that. The source, he says, for the Christian, that which fuels, ignites, guides, sustains, and empowers every, absolutely everything is time with your maker. Quiet, reverent, unhurried moments in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now you go, wow, when you put it like that, Sounds pretty good. See, why do you need to read the Bible? Why do you need to read the Bible? Well, again, first of all, if you're not, not a Christian, and you're perhaps here tonight, then not, you naturally have no desire to. If you have absolutely no desire to, I may say, check your salvation. Like, are you really, are you really a believer? Have you really put your confidence and your faith in Jesus Christ? But if you're not a Christian, you have no desire to. If you don't realize how much Jesus Christ loves you, again, to what extent he went to, to die in your place so that you could be reconciled to your maker, to the one and only God, you'd maybe go, who cares? And after all, it is, it's a large book. It's made up of 66 books. They're not even really books. A lot of them are letters and stuff. It's hard to navigate. It's hard to understand a lot of the language. So you probably don't care much about what the Bible has to say. But if you're a Christian... As I just said in the quote, it's what feeds you. It's what sustains you. It's how we survive spiritually. If you don't ever crack open your Bible and enjoy time with Jesus, your faith in God just won't grow. It won't grow. We want to grow. Physically, we want to grow. Some of you, some of you guys in here that are freshmen, you're like, I am so mad that I haven't grown six inches over the summer. We love to grow physically. Why in the world wouldn't we want to grow spiritually? Like, why would we not want to grow closer to God or to hear His voice more, to know His voice more, and to know what His voice even sounds like according to the Bible? It's your source, as I just said, for growing spiritually. It is the, the very words of God in this book, 66 books in this book. It's the source of truth in a world that's very lost and very confused. Um, now, I know some of it's picking a time. I know for almost all of you in here, you go, I'm just so busy, right? That's the, number one, that's the number one thing I've ever heard from students. You're so busy. 
Um, mornings aren't good, are they? Mornings are definitely not good, right? When you're in high school. Um, you're, you're always tired. You crave sleep the most. Isn't this, isn't this crazy? You crave sleep the most the moment your alarm goes off. You're like, I want sleep so bad right now. Like at midnight, you didn't even want sleep. But the moment that alarm goes off, and the, when you get up, I, my guess is for almost every one of you, you have just, there's only enough time for you to do the necessary things to get ready and to get to school like at exactly the right time. And to fit 10 minutes in of anything else, some of you don't even eat breakfast because you just, you'd rather sleep for those 10 minutes. But to like have the audacity to say you should try to read your Bible in the morning, I didn't even do that. So I'm not, I'm actually not pushing that. But you could maybe do it in the morning. You're all doing school, so you're at school sort of all day. Maybe you bring your Bible and you read during study hall or whatever, something. Some of you go to Christian school, so you're reading the Bible all day. But at night, what about at night? At night, you finally get done with your homework before bed. But there's all kinds of distractions then too, right? Um, I remember this vividly. I, it was before social media times for me. See, for you guys, I'm guessing, you get done with your homework, and the greatest thing, the, the number one thing you want to do is you want to get on Facebook you maybe want to get on Twitter, you want to Snapchat people, you want to text your buddies. Um, unless I'm wrong, some of you maybe go to bed at 9 o'clock or something. I don't know. Um, for me, man, I got done with that homework, 9 to 10 o'clock every single night. It was pre-social media. We had the internet back in those days. I'm not that old. It was Hotmail. It was Hotmail IM. That's what we had, Instant Messenger on Hotmail. And I chatted with my friends for an hour every night. I kid you not. At least junior and senior year. Um, so I've been there. But so at night there's distractions too. So when do you do this, right? Now, to that like whole busy thing, you will always make time for what you need to make time for. You always make time for the things that you feel are important. Um, and so I'm not, um, you know, we just don't think it's that important. And even me just saying some of this tonight is not going to convince you otherwise, but I know you're busy. Here's what I did. Um, I did it before my homework. My schedule, every night it, after homework, I knew I'd be tired. I knew I'd get too late or I wanted to go to bed. I scheduled my half hour alone with God every night. It was about 6.30 to 7 o'clock, and it was before I ever started my homework. In fact, I almost saw it as... Um, as like part of my homework. Like that was how I started my homework. Every night I basically had homework. You certainly had math. You have math homework all the time. It's just how math works, right? And um, every night. And I loved it. I sat in my basement. I had a little devotional thing. I'm getting off the stage. Check this out. Well, you're eating a lot of candy. <laughs> you're probably a guest. That's awesome. It was, I kid you not, it was very, very similar to this. I'm falling off the stage. It was a half-page booklet. Every day there was a date at the top. It was, it was not this, it was, but there was a devotional thing, and um, there was a passage to read. It was a tool. It was very, very simple. You know where I found it? I found it in my youth room at my church. We moved there after my sophomore year of high school. I'd never, I'd never read the Bible before. Not like, I mean, seriously. My junior year, I go, this is really helpful. And I started using it. And, uh, and these are free for you, and you should try using it sometime too. But I did it before I started my homework, and... Um, and I loved it. Turn with me in your Bible real quick to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but Hebrews chapter 5, if you have one of those blue hardback Bibles, if you, brought, if you grabbed one of ours, it's on page 848. 
all four of you have one of those blue hardback ones. But um, if you have my Bible, it's page 997. That's cool, right? Hey, um, so yeah, Hebrews 5, starting at verse 11. And this will be on the screens if you don't have a Bible. Um, Oh, before I start reading it, let me give you some background. So the writer of Hebrews, there's actually debate a little on who the writer of Hebrews is. It wasn't the Apostle Paul. I think it was Barnabas, um, but that's just me. Some, uh, seriously, it's sort of up in the air. What we do know is this was sort of a letter to Jewish Christians, people who had converted to Christianity after Jesus' death and resurrection. And uh, so they're in sort of the Middle East. I mean, just still, you know, the biblical area. But so the writer of Hebrews is writing this to them, sort of to encourage them. He's, he, it's a great sort of apologetic about who Christ is. And... Um, In much of chapter 5, this is what's going on. This writer is trying to convince these people that Jesus is sort of like the the ultimate high priest. The great high priest is sort of the heading in my Bible, but he's the final high priest. They all come from this Jewish culture, Jewish background. The priest was sort of everything. He was their mediator between them and God. And the writer says, Jesus is sort of the true and better and ultimate high priest. So we get to verse 11. And the writer sort of gives this, um, he sort of rebukes the recipients a little, all the Christians that are reading this. So check this out, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, he writes, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Um, He could have been more mean, but he's basically saying, like, this is sort of sad. Um, I think he's saying, I could go on and on, but I think he knows many of you, you're not understanding what I'm saying. You're baby Christians. He just calls them babies, basically. He says, you need milk, not spiritual food. It's pretty obvious. Um, It's not hard to understand. And so... He goes, you need to feed yourself. You need to grow up. Um, you need to seek maturity. And um, this stuff shouldn't be too hard for you. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Um, I even don't know exactly what if he's saying you don't understand the righteousness that Christ brings about, if you don't understand the gospel. I'm going to skip over um, a section here. The writer sort of goes into what elementary teachings are in the first four chapters, the first four verses of chapter six, things like instructions about baptism, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. He goes, "You should just know this. Do you guys know this stuff? If you don't, maybe you know you're like, well, it's your fault, Brad. You're our pastor. Well, maybe, um, maybe you could dive into it. Maybe you need to feed yourself." Um, now, he doesn't end there. Turn over there. Well, it's maybe on the same page for you. Turn over to chapter, uh, verse 9. I'm sorry. Chapter 6, verse 9. Sort of how he ends this section. So the writer goes on, and he's warning them against losing their faith, against just ditching it. Um, again, very real possibility for a lot of us, and certainly happens in our world today. And so toward the end of the section, verse 9, the writer writes, Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things in your case. He's saying, I'm confident that hopefully you guys will not fall away, ditch the faith, sort of reject God, and go on to other things. 
Um, he says things that accompany salvation. Verse 10, God is not unjust, so God is just. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you how Check this out. How do you show love toward God? The love you've shown to God is you've helped his people and continue to help them. Sort of an interesting thing. So obviously we know it's good to help people, but that sort of that shows love toward God. Verse 11, we want each of you to show the same diligence, to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. Um, stop right there. Has anybody ever doubted your salvation? Have you, have you ever gone, I think I'm a Christian? I really don't know. The writer here says, um, we want you to, to stay diligent in these things so that your hope is sure, so that you can have confidence that you're a Christian. What is he talking about? He's saying if you're a Christian, it shows up in your lifestyle. You produce what the Bible calls fruit. You start doing things that are good and right and true and that are beneficial to others. Um, it's the, the two principles I put on the screen. It's not what comes first. You're not saved by good works. But as John Calvin said, I love this quote from John Calvin. He says, faith alone saves you, but the faith that saves you is never alone. If you call yourself a Christian and you go on by your lifestyle living exactly the same way, maybe you're not. And I don't want to put doubt in your mind, but I really hope you go, I really want this. Like, I really want to know God. Um, in order to make your hope sure, stay diligent. And then finally, verse 12, he says, we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what's been promised. Um, I hope you don't become lazy, you guys, in just diving into this book and saying, I was always too busy, I didn't know how, I didn't have a tool. Um, you have a tool. Now, real quick, I don't have much time left. How do we do this? Real quick. I want to go over two methods. There's different ways to study the Bible. Some of these are really important. Um, first of all, the on-track devotional. This is free. This is what this uses. Number one, maybe write these down if you're taking notes. Four things. Number one, you've got to find a passage and read it, right? Duh, that's obvious. Um, go pick a, a book of the Bible and go through that book. I would say stay in that book until you're finished with it. Maybe read a chapter a day. Maybe take it heading to heading. Um, go slowly and then pick up on the next day. But you have to start by reading it. Number two, um, observation. It's helpful to write stuff down. So there's blanks in this devotional thing. For you to write down observations, investigate. Put down questions you have. Ask questions about what you just read. Are there characters involved? Are there commands? Are there repeating words? But observation, this is just sort of natural stuff. The, the next one is interpretation. What does it mean? How do you interpret this? This is the most difficult part and the, absolutely the, the most important part. I believe 100% the Bible is called, it's, it's inerrant. It does not have errors in it. But that's only when it's properly interpreted. And a lot of people can take passages out of context and make the Bible say what it is not meant to say. So you need to read the context. You need to know what was the point of the whole letter. What did Paul or whoever say before and after this? So you have to, it takes a little bit of work. And then finally, application. What is it, what is it saying to you? What does it mean to you? This little blurb we just read in Hebrews um, you go, okay, who cares, Brad? I'm not going to lose, I'm not going to chuck my faith. Well, you might. And the writer says, maybe you should um, dive into the Word of God more, and maybe you should go on to maturity and feed yourself. Now, real quick, here's a second method. 
And I want to apply it to this, this passage too. The number one thing is find the task. And this works in almost any passage of Scripture. Find the task, find the command. What are you supposed to do? So in this, what we just read in Hebrews 5, I read that and I go, here's what he's telling me to do. He's telling me to read the Bible, right? Feed yourself. Number two, what's number two? The problem is this. You can't do it. You won't do it, in fact. You won't read your Bible. I won't. I, I can't do it every day. I don't do it perfectly. I haven't. Um, so this, this can apply to almost any, th- any passage of Scripture. You really only have to find the first thing. is what's the command there. But whatever it is, the problem is this. You just won't do it. You can't do it perfectly. Um, you need to try, and I hope you do. But thirdly is this. This is sort of what makes you, you melt a little bit. There was one who could do it. And you go, did Jesus read his Bible? No, but there was one who could do it. That Jesus didn't read the Word of God. He was the Word of God. And he accomplished what we couldn't do on our own. He, again, he came, he died in our place. He gives us a new heart, a transformed heart, a heart that wants to do what's right and to, um, I don't know, to obey him because we love him so much, because he's our master. And so we can't do it, but there was one who could. And number four, the resolution is this, that when you see what Jesus has done for you, you can do it. You, you have a whole new motivation for doing it. You want to obey. And so you can read your Bible and find it worthwhile. Until you see that, you will never want to read your Bible. And no matter how hard I just stand up here or anybody else and says, you're supposed to read your Bible, until you know why you should, you're never going to want to. I think for me, somehow I found this thing in my youth room, in my little church, but somehow I go, I really want to know what this book says, and I have no idea what it says. And my dad was the pastor, but I just, I wanted more of God, and I hope that's what you want to. Um, so those are sort of two methods. I have a little article up here that I wrote. It's for free, too, at the back. If you want more on Bible study methods or just um, sort of a guide, this is called Self-Feeding Bible Study Method, and um, there, there's like a couple copies back there. Please take an on-track tonight. Um, there's some maybe on the Bible carts, there's some in the back, and then there's a whole little basket by the tech booth. Um, do it for seven days. And maybe, you know, don't write things out unless you have time. I don't know. But find a time, find a place in your house. Um, I would say it has to be at least 15 or 20 minutes, or you probably just can't focus enough. Um, but I hope, I hope someday, you guys, you really want to dive into the Bible. Let's pray real quick. God, um, I thank you for your word. And um, Lord, I thank you just sort of for the gospel truth that we can put into any passage God, we know we're supposed to read our Bibles, but we don't. God, we fail a lot. Um, but Jesus, you come along, and you are, the, you are perfect. And you are, you are able to take our death penalty for us. God, no other human could do that because all of us, God, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And I sin, God, and so I deserve death. But you, Jesus, you were perfect. You were the perfect, flawless human being, And so you took the cross and you took death for me when you didn't have to. And God, that should melt our hearts. That should melt each one of our hearts, God. You loved us so much. So God, I pray for anyone even here tonight who's never heard that before. God, would you you grab them and draw them to yourself? God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for taking hell for us so that we could have heaven. We could live forever with you. God, we long for that day. 
But Lord, for now, God, give us tastes of who you are and what you have to say to us in your word. And I pray that we would learn to dive into it. So God, thanks for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Child, never let go.